When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Friday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and I am joined by the one and only Asian man, Robert Bothwick. Mr. Craig Fowler, thank you very much. <laughs> yes, um, I think you're just happy that I didn't start that with and. I could have well, done that actually. Well, exactly. It's, it's, it's impossible on this occasion. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. In fact, I, I feel, like, feel like doing the intro again and just saying <laughs> this week I'm joined by and Robert Borthwick. Listen, you can do that next time, mate. Just let me have this one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll let you have this one. Uh, how, how are you doing? How are you doing, Rob? This oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm very well. I feel like uh, I feel like my belly is full of Scottish football after the, the, the day after day after day, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday feast. Uh, the buffet of, of cinch that we were uh, given on, on Sky Sports. No, I, I'm, I'm feeling good, mate. I'm feeling good. Nice guy, sportsman. Daft, daft for cinch, hot cinch action this midweek, and yeah, that is also sorry as well for the listeners who are wondering why where we were on Thursday evening because the the final Premiership game was on the Thursday, and I think it just kind of worked out as well that more people were available on the Friday. So not a lot of people available this week, uh, so we've kind of been struggling for for a lot of content, but managed to to muddle through. And yeah, this is why the podcast is coming twenty four hours after it, it typically does. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, all, all the Scottish Premiership needs is for Amazon Prime to uh, show English football all the time and then Sky Sports won't need to fill their spaces uh, with, with anything they can find, little nuggets of uh, Scottish football that they can just drop in there. That'll be six months before Sky Sports goes under. It's <laughs> <laughs> Sky in general probably because I've got so much money wrapped up at the football side. Well, I very true, very true. If everybody's still going to pay at the massive subscriptions to watch Sky One, League of Their Own, brilliant. Sky, 
Sky, Sky One's been binned, hasn't it? That doesn't exist anymore. Oh, is it? It shows you the last time I had Sky. It's like it's like BBC Three was gone for about four years, and I was like, "Where's Family Guy?" <laughs> <laughs> ITV Two now or ITV Four? I think no. Uh, ITV Three only exists online. Much right, like okay. <laughs> much like ourselves, Craig, they only exist online. We're uh, just becoming very old men here. All of a sudden, I don't know which channels are still in operation. I know it's it's a joke, mate. It's a you joke. Still get C facts. Probably. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that if you look hard enough, you can probably find it. Right, so we've got six games to go through. So let's begin with the only one that had more than one goal in it. This is weird. Like, So across the six games, there was only six goals scored. But I don't think any of these were necessarily terrible games. No, it's, it's funny because I was sort of, obviously I watched the three of the games uh, live as they happened, all of which were, were good games in their own way. Um, and then even the 0-0, there's like 39 shots on goal in that game. It's ridiculous. So yes, um, not not a goal fest, but certainly a lot to uh, a lot to tuck into. So the only game with more than one goal took place at Pataudry on Wednesday night. That was Aberdeen beating Livingston 2-0. This was one uh, I watched back this couple of things stood out for me in this one. We want to start with Livingston. Okay. They were, I mean, they were, they were really bad. They were rubbish. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking at kind of, there's, there's been kind of a Jekyll and Hyde side almost to Livingston this year, especially at the start of the campaign when they, they really didn't look great at all. They, they struggled to, to find a victory. And I think a lot of people were saying, oh, is, is this the year that, that Livy drop out of the league? Kind of, they're now, I think now that Hamilton's out of the league, they're going to become the new Hamilton, even though they've obviously had more kind of top flight success than Hamilton ever did. And I don't think people dislike them as much as everybody else in the league managed to just eventually dislike Hamilton. But I think because they are like clearly the smallest club in the division now, then all eyes is kind of be, going to be on them going in every season. Is this the year where the smallest club in the division go down and, and so forth? But they, they did kind of rally and did look a bit better and looked more like themselves, like dogged, disciplined, organised, but with a, a little bit of sprinkling of, of flair and, and kind of forward players that could do something for them. There wasn't really a whole lot of show for this one. I can I could just kind of start by saying the Aberdeen backline uh, of a back four was Funzo Ojo, David Bates, Ross McCrory and Johnny Hayes. Uh, three, three, three midfielders. <laughs> that, in that defence, argue. Kept a clean sheet without too much bother, which I think tells you a lot about Livingston's uh, play in this one. They started, had played most of the match at a 3-4-3, which didn't, in my opinion, really didn't work well against Aberdeen's lineup. Uh, you can see it, the first goal, where, where Hedges, it's basically Longridge trying to go up and, and help the attack as the wing-back gets a little too far up the pitch. He's about 10 yards behind Hedges when... Aberdeen kind of move really gets going. He can't, he doesn't have the pace to make it up in time. Hedges gets Tom Parks, I think it was, on an island. He doesn't know what to do with it. And so he basically does nothing, just backs off and backs off and backs off until Hedges eventually cuts inside and shoots. Good goal, good finish. But that then happened a few other times in the half. And it seemed like every time Hedges got the ball in Livy's half, like this, despite the fact Livingston had so many men behind the ball, there was just all these spaces opening up in the rear guard. And yeah, they were. They were very poor, it has to be said. Really nothing. Even before Louis Longridge's red card, he didn't have a good day at all. But even before that, you didn't really see them getting anything out of the game, even though they were only a goal down. 
do you, do you think it's do you think it's as much a, a shape issue as it is a, a clientele issue for Livingston this season? Because, it, like you say, it has been Jekyll and Hyde, and I think you can probably describe David Martindale's spell in charge very much as Jekyll and Hyde. You know, they've they've gone through spells where they've they've looked very good. They they take points off Celtic every single time they play them. Um, he obviously had the, the big winning streak at the start of his uh, at the start of his tenure as well, and then they seem to just fall off a cliff. And it's mostly with the same players like there's no easy way to put a finger on why Livingston could you even say underperform perform poorly um, as often as they do it has to be said that they were without so they were without Scott Pittman so he was he wasn't playing in this game I have to say I might get some things wrong in this in this podcast it's been a while since I've done a review one and uh, with the the show and uh, various kind of social kind of commitments I've had recently I've, I've not managed to keep up to speed with how teams have been setting out each and every week so apologies in advance of my ignorance, but Scott Pittman wasn't playing. The last time I properly checked in on Livy, I thought they'd, they'd managed to find a, a decent blend with the players at the disposal. So I've said a few times, and I still it should be a bit of a concern, that they're a very small team outside of their back line. Uh, yeah, outside of their centre-half, basically. There's a lot of short players there, and I wonder if that was going against what they'd kind of built up over the, the last couple of years. Not necessarily an out-and-out long ball team, but a team that plays fairly direct and certainly had some guys who you wouldn't want to mess with out in the park if you think of the, the team that done so well a couple of years ago, Lyndon Dykes, Marvin Bartley, kind of guys like that, real kind of physical presences, and I do still think they lack that, but I think they'd, they'd come across a decent system with Omeonga and Hulk sitting in, in Pittman in front of them, and I don't know whether he just feels like without Pittman is a number 10 that they don't really have. They do have in terms of their squad, but whether there's anybody that they trust, like Andrew Shinney, for example, to play that role, I'm not too sure, but the... They were all pretty. I mean, Bruce Anderson, he gave it a, a he tried. <laughs> he tried. He was he was the kind of most determined of the forwards. He was the one that everybody was going to do it, it was going to be him. Sure, surely, like like Bruce Anderson's whole thing is like on his gravestone, it will say he tried. Like <laughs> probably. That, that's the one the one big thing that you're always gonna get with Bruce Anderson. And again, it's like it's you look at the fact that they lost obviously Scott Robinson under a bit of a cloud uh, last season, London Dykes. These are guys that play up front and try. You know, these are guys that, that should be playing into the, the way that the way that Levy play. But you know, Alan Forrest um, is having a cold spell. Odin he was Bailey. he was anonymous. Uh, no, Odin I, Bailey wasn't anonymous, but maybe should have been. That's 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 what I mean. It's like Odin Bailey and Alan Forrest have both shown flashes during their time at Livingston that they are very capable players. But is Bruce Anderson necessarily the sort of foil for those two guys to play off of. Anderson's great running into channels. He can run in behind and stuff like that. But it's just, it, it seems like there's a disconnect. Because I like Holt and Omeonga. They're very tidy midfielders in, in the sort of middle of the park. Nicky Devlin can bomb forward. But it's maybe just those those sort of like twin number 10s or, or wingers, whatever sort of position they want to play. That seems to be the way it's fallen down a wee bit, especially when it comes to holding the ball up, you know, keeping the ball uh, in the sort of final third of, of the pitch. It usually comes from, you know, bombing forward. If that is Scott Pittman, for example, when he plays, or, or you know, Craig Sibbald, uh, very capable of doing that as well. I'm just, it just feels like there's a bit of a disconnect. And the way this game went, it, it kind of was reminiscent of when Levy came to Tynecastle earlier on in the season as well. Obviously, I, I can speak about that with great authority because I was there, but they, they didn't really lay a glove. You know, in this game against Aberdeen, two shots, none on target. 25% possession they just didn't get a grasp on the game at any stage and this is against an Aberdeen team that you know with all due respect isn't great you know they're, they're there to get got at I think you know Aberdeen are capable obviously of 
bursting through that and, and putting in great performances, but they didn't even have to in this game. Yeah, uh, but I was impressed, I have to say, with Aberdeen. Uh, they thought, to me, they looked a lot similar to they did earlier in the season. And I'm looking through some of their kind of recent games and trying to figure out their teams. It looks, and it, yeah, it's kind of like what I thought since basically August. It's like when they signed all those players at the end of at the end of the, the summer transfer window. Then I, I don't kind of upset the harmony and give Glass too many kind of toys to play with. But this was very similar to the side that started the campaign uh, with obviously there was a few players out through injury. So no Ramsey, no McKenzie, uh, no Gallagher, no, well, Devlin doesn't really count, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, uh, who else was missing as well? I think they might have had one or two others out, but it was a kind of 4-4-2 like the start of the season with. But a narrow one where the two wide players, so it was Hedges on the right, we know he likes to drift inside, Watkins on the left. We know he's kind of been a forward uh, a lot of his time, uh, especially in Scottish football. So he was kind of wanting to attack inside as well. Then you get Scott Brown dropping deep to kind of def- help protect the defence while the fullbacks are, are getting forward as well. And they looked like they did early on the season. They knocked it a bit really well. They looked dangerous on most attacks. And like Glass has experimented with a lot of kind of three at the back formations. And I just wonder whether this is just the best way to sell out this team. Uh, and, and to also have as well G. Emmanuel Thomas back playing that number 10 role that at the start of the season he looked so kind of potent in and you kind of thought, oh God, what, what's happened here? He's, he's turned into this great playmaker because of his because of the great close control that he has in that area. But then he really didn't seem to fit as well once all the changes came in. And I do wonder whether this is Aberdeen getting back to it now. But don't want to say that too quickly because they did come into this game off the back of three successive defeats. Yeah, no, that, that's it. And when I looked at the lineup, I think the, the big thing that stood out to me was the sort of reintroduction, if you want to say that, of, of J. Emmanuel Thomas. Stephen Glass was pressed on it this week. Guys like Jet and uh, and Matty Longstaff and, and these players that have been fringe, basically, uh, for the last few while on Glass, basically was quite bullish and said they're not playing because they've not been good enough. And, and you know, that that's fair enough, but also you were better earlier on in the season when J. Emmanuel Thomas was playing. So you maybe have to kind of look at that. And yeah, it's, I like Jet a lot. I think he's he's got a lot to offer, um, especially in that sort of more, that deeper role, because he's got great feet. Like, you know, yep. everyone looks at him and, and I think that we can no longer just say, oh, he's just a big guy that's going to hold it up and turn his man. Like, he's got good feet. He's actually got a decent enough passing range as well. Um, and yeah, he's, he's a footballer. Great feet for a jumbo jet. Very yeah, good. Very good. Yeah, I'm going to write that down just in case we can't come up with a better <laughs> title for the show. <laughs> Great feat for a jumbo jet. There we go. Right. Okay, we'll get on to Motherwell's 1-0 victory against Dundee United after this. The festive season will soon be upon us and if you're anything like me, Terrace Podcast Editor-in-Chief Craig Fowler, then you will be rubbish at buying presents for other people. But I've got just the solution for you. Beer 52. How about eight free beers to give to someone special in your life? Hang on a minute. Did I say eight? What I actually meant to say is ten free beers, courtesy of Beer52. All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash terrace and cover $5.95 for postage to claim your free case. What's more, do it before the 17th of December and you get those two extra beers, taking it from eight to ten, that I just promised you. 
Beer 52 is a beer club like no other. They send experts around the globe to find the best beer available anywhere. Each month, their members receive a new case, and members have had beer from more than 40 countries across five continents. If dark beer's not your thing, simply choose the light option. As well as delicious beer, you'll get the Ferment magazine and two delicious snacks in which to wash it down. So whether you're buying for you or buying for someone else, make sure to sign up to Beer 52. And after redeeming your first case, you'll then join the monthly beer club for £24 a month. But don't worry, there is no minimum commitment. You can pause or cancel at any time. So once again, that's www.beer52.com forward slash terrace. Right, Rob, now it's time for the game on Tuesday at Fur Park. This is a game that I didn't see, uh, unfortunately, so I had uh, just a bit too much housework to do on Tuesday night before uh, we recording the show and on Wednesday. And also, uh, I must admit, I didn't realise it was on Sky because then I probably would have watched it. I was thinking everyone was just going mental and paying £15 or whatever to watch Motherwell TV. I was like, well, everybody's really into this game tonight. <laughs> Nobody's, nobody else has got anything to do. Aye, so, yeah, somebody's, somebody's doing all right. <laughs> Everybody's doing all right, partly. I could shell out for all these pay-per-views. But, yeah, the game was eventually played out in front of a, a monsoon, uh, but it was settled in the first half by a glorious goal from Tony Watt. And before we get into the meat of the action, Rob, do you want to just wax lyrical about Mr Anthony Watt? I... Adore this version of Anthony Watt. Um, he basically he's he's always had different components and different parts of his game that have never quite come together at the same time. So he's got he's got wonderful close control. He's a great dribbler with the ball, and when he gets it, he's very hard to to sort of knock off the ball because he's he's a big big frame as well. Again, something that's that's maybe not um, sort of he doesn't get enough credit for is his physicality. He's he's a big lad, huge big broad shoulders quite tall he's got a turn of pace as well you know he, he can score goals he can play wide if he wants to he can play through the middle and I think that at Motherwell in the last like be charitable and say year maybe just over a year he has just turned into this sort of complete forward that Motherwell can use in any of the front four positions if you want to say right left middle or ten like he can play all of these places and he can do them all just as well and he's basically, I mean, this season's just been, you know, he's now joint top scorer again because uh, Kyogo scored for Celtic. But he's he's scoring goals at a rate that he he's never done in Scotland before. I, I think the only time that he's had a season like this is when he was in Belgium. He was playing for Liège and we're only in December. You know, he, he's properly come on to a different level. And I think that now... When you look at the, when you look at why Steve Clark has signed uh, as called players up for Scotland, Kevin Nisbet, Lauren Shankland, it's because they're scoring goals and playing regularly in the in the cinch. And Tony Watt's doing that now. I think it will be very very hard to ignore him uh, when you know they're looking for the, <laughs> essentially when they're looking for the striker that isn't Shea Adams or Lyndon Dykes that's going to be in the Scotland squad. I think Tony Watt's got a, a great shout and this goal that he scored. Uh, like you say, in the in the monsoon of uh, of Lanarkshire, was probably the pick of the bunch for this season. I think there's no doubt. He's the way that he's curved his run onto the ball. He knows exactly where he's going to put it. Benjamin Segrist knows exactly where he's going to put it, and it's such a good strike. He gets absolutely nowhere near it because he's placed it perfectly. It's one of those that it doesn't even go into the top corner. 
But, you know, when it goes over Seagrass's hand, it looks like it is, but it dips right down. He basically bounces in the bottom corner of the goal because he's hit it that well. It's got that amount of dip and that amount of swerve on it. And listen, it's, it's a game, it's a goal worthy of winning any game. And it did win this game. I think a lot of that was down to weather conditions uh, and, and Dundee United being appalling. But it was just a, a great, great goal from a player that, that just seems to be improving every single week. It was a great goal as well in terms of the crowd noise that came with it. Because because the the ball spent that that little bit of time in the air, uh, and it, again one of those as you said one of those times where often if a ball sp- spends a bit of time in the air, I'm often looking at the goalkeeper. But when it's one of those ones when it when it has that dip, then you can't really blame the goalie. But the crowd, you can just hear the anticipation of the crowd growing as it yeah. as it gets them as he's about to shoot it, as it goes in the air, as they can see it's travelling towards goal. It just kind of rises and rises and rises until it hits the back of it. Yeah, great moment for that. But yeah, you, you mentioned that United didn't play well. I did notice that they were missing both Fuchs and Levitt, I think, from the centre of the park. And I'm going to assume that had a big impact on them. It did. It had a massive impact. You know, De- Declan Glass, I feel I feel terrible for the boy, was was hooked five minutes before half-time. Uh, yeah, such was the, such was the, the way that, that United were playing, I think. He's a young laddie, just give him the extra five minutes on the park. But I think, obviously... Uh, do you know what he would have been at half time? He would have been shattered glass. Oh, very good. Very good indeed. But uh, I think Timothy Courts was was trying to send a message to the players that were out there. And I think it's fair enough. Yeah, they were seen Dundee United a few times this season and they were a shadow, an absolute shadow of what that team is capable of. You're right in saying that the centre of the park was decimated without Fuchs and, and Levitt, but Ian Harks has has had a very, very strong season so far. Uh he he offered little to nothing. Florian Hotty uh, didn't give United any sort of penetration in the midfield. He wasn't finding passes. He wasn't driving forward. And Declan Glass, you know, playing a, a wee bit deeper, but I think a lot of that was maybe forced uh, upon him, such was, uh, you know, the, the performance of Maguire, Slattery and, and Sean Goss, who I thought had a, a good game again as well. United just offered nothing. They, they could not get anything to uh, to a Perry. Niskanen was uh, anonymous, uh, as was Peter Pollock. And even with the change, nothing really changed for, for Dundee United. They, they still weren't able to get a grasp in the game. I think, uh, you know, they basically, they, they had some possession from about the 80th minute onwards. Um, but by that stage, they were playing on a great big puddle. And, uh, and, and Motherwell, Motherwell had put so much into the game that they were quite happy to, to lap it up, to be honest. Nicky Clark came on, didn't really do anything at all. Uh, Spurla came on. Didn't really do anything at all. Actually, the one player that offered them something off the bench was Darren Watson, uh, who came on down the right-hand side and actually had some good incisive runs, was getting the ball into the box, was linking play. And that was basically what United had missed for the entire game up until then. So so they had a wee glimmer of promise towards the end. But, uh, I mean, Motherwell were by far and away the better team, fully deserved the victory. And there was a hilarious red card for Barry Maguire, who for some reason, when the ball was in the corner flag, dived into a sliding challenge on a booking on a pitch that resembled an ice rink uh, at this stage and just went flat. Well, that was why. That, that was why, though. That's my theory of why he did it. Is that he, he saw the opportunity to make a tackle. He saw the amount of, amount of moisture on that pitch. He thought, this is going to be great. This is going to be one of those slide tackles that goes on for days. And he well, well, could help it. himself. That's it, honestly. If he had not connected with Darren Watson in that tackle, he would have ended up in that garden. Uh, that overlooks for Park <laughs> water container. Uh, he, he would he'd, he'd still be going now uh, if he hadn't made contact. But um, no, it's one of those games that 
we all like seeing uh, an unexpected element to a football game. And the elements was the unexpected element uh, to this football game. The rain was relentless. It never slowed for the 90 minutes. I mean, I'd genuinely, it looked at a stage that it might be in danger of getting postponed uh, and, and abandoned because, like, honestly, the, always in the corners of the pitch, it was it was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But um, it was, it was still playable enough to, to see the 90 minutes through. But, it just added something a wee bit, a wee bit more exciting to it. There was one time, I mean, Stephen O'Donnell's miss. So everyone was sort of saying, oh my God, what an absolute sitter. But the ball was bouncing up for him to just sort of hit on the half volley, mm-hmm. a yard out, open goal. The ball bounces and then just rolls along the turf. So Stephen O'Donnell jumps over it because he's expecting it to, to jump up and he can tap it in. So we things like that, even he was pissing himself laughing at it because it's like, what, what chance have you got? But um, not an enjoyable game and, it, it, you know, I feel like I'm going on a monologue here, but I'm going to keep going, Craig, until you stop me. But um, <laughs> keep going. Motherwell, Motherwell are, for me, the most peculiar team uh, in, in the top flight right now. Some weeks, you know, they they, they had a great win against uh, Aberdeen at Pataudry, followed that up with a brilliant win against Hearts at Fark Park, and then they go and get scudded, absolutely skittled 3-0 by, by Dundee. And you're thinking, right, are they... Are they good or are they, are they not? Like, are they? Is this just what a mid-table team does? And then you see again, like the pressing. Callum Slattery, I thought, um, was was great against Dundee United. Sean Goss, you know, he's, he's a bit of a luxury player, but he was getting stuck in as well. Barry Maguire, up until his red card, did very well. Bevis Mugabe, bombing down the right hand side. You know, guys that are absolutely running through brick walls to to make stuff happen for the for the team, and you know that makes them an enjoyable team to watch, but only sometimes. And that's, that's kind of it. It's like, you know, Motherwell could either kick on in a positive way or they could go the other direction. And I just, week by week, I never know which way that's going to go. Okay, let's move on to the game at Dens Park. Dundee won St. Johnston nil. The only goal of the game coming in the first half via Danny Mullen. Again, another game that was, yep, 1-0. Dundee St. Johnston midweek. You're kind of thinking, hmm, how good is this going to be? That was a pretty good game. I have to say I was quite impressed with Dundee. Uh, especially their their midfield, uh, Max Anderson and Charlie Adam in particular. Anderson just seemed to win everything back in the centre of the of the park in, in terms of interceptions and, and getting to loose balls. And that was something that I think that Dundee had an advantage on Johnson overall. And I, I saw brief snippets of like quotes of what Callum Davidson had said today in in preparation for for the match at the weekend, and he was basically focusing on kind of work rate and and determination and, and stuff like that. And you can kind of see why after this, because while they still, it wasn't like they were entirely passive, they, they didn't look quite as hungry as Dundee did in this one. And when you consider that St. Johnson are performing a lot worse than the expectations this season, then that's something that the players are going to have to rectify pretty soon. Uh, but I, I, like I say, I was quite impressed with, with Dundee and the Anderson Adam partnership worked quite well because then it kind of allowed Charlie Adam to do what he does well, does well, spray the ball around all areas of the park, uh, be a threat, be a kind of creative threat as well. Uh, but I was also quite pleased with the performance of Luke McCown. I thought he put in a great shift on the left and also had a, a few moments of quality as well. And while it was a fairly, fairly tight game for the most part, I do think the, the better team won the match in the end. Yeah, it, it definitely seemed that way. And I think it 
you know, if you look at the, the bigger picture of, of the last, what, 12 months and, and what they've shown us, it's weird that you're going into this and saying Dundee looked assured and St. Johnson looked poor. And I think that St. Johnson aren't in danger of falling off a cliff, but they're, they're kind of, you know, it's like the Italian job just now. The the, the bus is on the edge. and uh, that's, 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 that's a lot of danger, though, <laughs> that you might fall off a cliff. The, the bus is on the edge and Ali Crawford's trying to scurry up to, to, to keep the, the weight balance uh, down, <laughs> down the right-hand side that he was playing on on, uh, on, on Wednesday night. No, it, it's weird with St. Johnston, man. I just like, injuries haven't helped. Uh, losing key players like Alan McCann, Jason Kerr, obviously we've spoken about that, that hasn't helped either. But you look, and there's still quality within the squad and players that, that I really like. Jamie McCart, Liam Gordon, Callum Booth, Chris Kane, um, you know, players in there that, that have been a part of that famous double winning team but in recent weeks they've just looked they've just looked off it you know they, they looked okay against Hibs but then Craig Bryson gets sent off and they lose two late goals it's just yeah it's it's a weird one for me with St Johnson just now and you kind of think that for Callum Davidson as well you know you, you do begin to wonder like if a team comes in for him now probably be quite happy to leave you know it, it just seems that St Johnson are sliding in one direction just now obviously we know that, that they are a very capable team. They've got a lot of good players and they've got a very good manager. So it's, you know, just as easily they could put a run together. But yeah, it's just, I've been underwhelmed with St. Johnston in, in recent weeks. Yeah, they're, the kind of main tactic in this one was, I mean, they, I think they tried at times to play through Dundee, but Dundee, as I said, Dundee's midfield, and I think it was helped as well. I didn't, I didn't single him out earlier, but Paul McGowan played at the, the tip of that midfield three as the number 10. Now, I would say that a lot of Dundee fans would probably agree that He's not. He doesn't quite have it in him to do that job in terms of being like a regular, like threatening attacking player at this stage of his career because he is in his thirties now. And I think even earlier in the season there were some reservations about being in the team at all because he is getting on in age. But he is the kind of the 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 tip of that of that triangle. He was able to kind of help set the tempo because he still works his backside off, even if he might be slowing down a little bit. And it just made it very hard for St. John's to play through them. When they did, uh, the very rare occasions they managed that, there was a chance between Kane and Cameron McPherson going through, basically. It was an error by Fontaine. He could have stepped up when he when he shouldn't have to try and ta- track Vertanen, who dropped a bit deep, and then left uh, the kind of remaining defenders a bit isolated, two on two. They didn't know if they were coming or going. But Chris Kane, for whatever reason, just delayed the pass far too long. By the time he slipped it into McPherson, McPherson was offside and hit the shot wide anyway. I don't know if he'd done that because he knew he was offside and he was just kind of snatching it and a bit pissed off. But he missed anyway. But that was kind of one rare incident of them managing to actually play football with him. Otherwise, it was about going long to Kane and Vertanen and trying to work from there. First sight in the managed to get Vertanen. Who was it in the chat that called him the Poundland Flo Camberry? Uh, yeah, oh, that sounds like something Graham would say, but I'm, I'm not sure. Whoever sure. said it, it's spot on, like he does. Like uh, more, um, to be fair, more a kind of Hibs Rangers Poundland Canberra than the Aberdeen version. Like I don't think he didn't look terrible to me. It looked like he had something about him. Kind of yeah, I could kind of see it. Similar kind of style, kind of a, a bigger guy, but a decent touch. But he could kind of knock the ball up to him. Not bad at holding the up. Kind of looks a wee bit similar as well. Kind of same kind of stature, and he was. I felt that he was Johnson's most threatening player and I was really surprised when they took him off, especially because this had completely passed me by. They took him off for somebody that I had never heard of before. 
Is that, is that <laughs> Viv Solomon Otterborn? Yes. <laughs> Who is that guy? <laughs> Craig, I, I don't know. <laughs> Signed on November 24th. Yep, I completely missed that. That, was, that must have been a couple of weeks ago. He, um, he wasn't very good when he came on. He, he, he looks a completely different player to Vertanen as well, and that was why I was a bit curious with the decision. I, I think they went, he went to a bit more of a traditional 3-4-3 three, three after that, as opposed to kind of the, the two up top with the, the one in behind, which was, was Cammy McPherson in this one. So maybe it was to go into that system, and maybe he thought they would have a better chance of trying to play through Dundee if they did that. But Vertanen was threatening. He had their only real chances I can remember from the game, other than that one I talked about with, with Kane and McPherson. And you kind of thought, well, if somebody's going to score, it's going to be him. So yeah, maybe he was tired. Maybe they had the you know the, the tracking the players on the side that was saying like he's he's running out of gas. But I don't know. I still would have left him on because it seemed like if anybody was going to get a goal, it was going to be him. And instead, your boy came on and just proceeded to get the ball and then run into a Dundee defender and give it away. So, uh, yeah, it's a weird one because Wigan offered him a new deal in the summer and he didn't accept it by the time June came around and they were just like, bye. <laughs> so he's ah, not the, the old Fraser Fivey tactic. Exactly. So he's not had a team for like four months and he's signed for two months. He's signed until January um, for, for St. Johnston. I thought it was quite weird as well bringing on a guy, when you need a goal to get back into the game, bringing on a guy with 12 career goals. It completely, same as you, that completely passed me by that, that he was a thing. So... There you go. He, he was one of those, uh, obviously one of those uh, British players that went over and played for uh, CSK Sofia. They've got like Graham Carey and they had Tony Watt and, and all these guys as well. So there you go. Right, I think we've covered enough about that one. Let's now head to the game that we both saw. Celtic won Hearts nil at Parkhead. I think I could sum this one up by saying Hearts were pretty guff in the first half. We'll get, we can get into the reasons why in a second. They then played a lot better in the second half. Can maybe feel a little bit unfortunate not to get a point in the end because of their second half performance, but at the same time, Celtic could have been out of sight and they also missed a couple of decent second half chances to put the game beyond Hearts. Kind of very similar to Hearts' performance against Rangers earlier in the season, but I don't think Celtic played as well as Rangers, but I do think Hearts played worse than they did at Ibrox. Yeah, I, I think that all of that is, is absolutely fair enough. I think that you know, you've got a direct comparison of, of Hearts going there in the League Cup in August. Um, and standing off, being completely passive and allowing Celtic to kill the game off after about 30 minutes. That didn't happen on this occasion. Hearts were trying to press the game a lot more. You know, guys like uh, Ginelli and McInef were the sort of trigger men. They were the guys that they were pushing out and, and trying to put pressure on Starfelt and Welsh and, and Ralston. Celtic were still getting in behind, uh, as, as they tend to always do. And I think that the inclusion of Tom Rogic, the re-inclusion of Tom Rogic after his short spell out was was massive for Celtic because he's just such a he's such a key player, especially for games at Parkhead. You know, the times when he can get his foot on the ball and has a little bit of time. He was giving Peter Haring a, a, a torrid time for the, the first 20-25 minutes. They got a, a grasp of him uh, a wee bit after that, but essentially the, the sort of half space that Turnbull and, uh, and Rogic were picking up was just allowing Celtic to, to cut through hearts. There was overlapping runs. Ralston, until he got injured, uh, was again, he was very impressive. <clears throat> Kyogo was looking to get in behind. Jota was was pushing Michael Smith back. And it was it was similar, but not the same as the, the League Cup game. I think hearts did play better. They were pushing out a lot more. And we're actually getting our foot on the ball a wee bit. Cammy Devlin and, uh, and Peter Haring in the midfield, I thought, as the game went on, got stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think Barry Mackay, for the duration was was Hart's best player. I, I thought he was I thought he was very good. A good out ball, but also 
trying to create. But no, I, I, you know, that the goal was offside, right? I don't want to say any more than that because it's just boring now. The goal was mm-hmm. offside, it wasn't given. Um, but it was a deserved 1-0 lead for Celtic and I think that that's the, the, the polite footballing way to, to speak about it Celtic were the better team they had the chances Craig Gordon just about had another fluff up at, at Celtic Park but he was able to push Forrest rebound onto the post but Celtic deserved the lead um, and when it went in at half time at 1-0 I was quite happy to be honest with you as a Hearts fan I was pretty happy because I know that Celtic are liable to sit back in games um, a bit and, and lose a bit of the cool and, and possession that they have and they're able to maintain uh, and Hearts were able to, to take advantage of that to an extent in the second half but um, over the 90 I think Celtic were definitely the better team and probably deserved yeah. to win but I think Hearts, Hearts had their chances and made it a contest in the second half You could also say as well I mean that Celtic were the better side and won the match and I would I think there was maybe Jota's one of Jota's worst performances of the season, I would say, and Kyogo wasn't that involved either. And no, no, they weren't. And Forrest think, didn't do much either, apart from missed two good chances. I think uh, a, a lot has to be credited to John Suter and Craig Halkett, two guys that have been getting told all season that they cannot play in a back four, uh, and then they played in a back four and put in two really, really impressive performances. Halkett especially. Um, I thought was absolutely superb in that mm-hmm. game he was blocking everything he was making tackles he was trying to push the team up the park and he actually had one of half shots on target as well um, from a from a set piece and I think that the credit has to go to those guys Michael Smith was was very poor in an attacking sense but again defensively he he, he didn't have Jota's number Jota still got past him but he, you know Michael Smith wasn't allowing him to you know create as much as he has been in, in recent weeks and, uh, and Stephen Kingsley is just a, a very good footballer who I really hope stays at heart. Yes, as do I. Uh, quite a few players in that team that wish would stay at heart who are out of contract. Yeah. No, get out worrying. Uh, get out worrying. It's going on. They can talk to other clubs very soon. Yeah, no, Craig, I, I don't like it, so I'm just going to ignore it until something happens. Um, <laughs> and I think I think for Celtic as well, Carl Starfelt, who I was very um, critical of in the early parts of the season, obviously he's just had some time out. He came back in and he was he was great. Um, I think obviously it, it wasn't easy for him as well because obviously Ralston had to go off, which meant a complete reshuffle. Juranovic going to right back, Montgomery to left back, and then Sean Welsh had to go off and and Neil Beaton had to come on. So really, the, the only player that, that ended where he started in that Celtic back line was Starfelt. Um, Liam Boyce gave him more to think about. I, I thought Boyce was decent when he came on, but Starfelt was. Was great throughout. He got man of the match, I think, on on Sky, and he deserved it. Um, I, I think he was really impressive. And Callum McGregor um, again keeps things ticking. He, he's he's a man that will never get injured, and he will always give you the same level of performance every single time you play. Um, Mikey Johnston came on, was very poor. He's been poor every time I've seen him recently, actually. Um, but no, there, there was a lot of bright sparks in, in Celtic's performance as well. But I think that they've got another gear that they can find that they they still haven't quite found under Postacol. You could look at the early season game, the 6-0 against Dundee, and say, you know, that was them finding their gear. But again, I'm still not too sure Dundee were, were awful in that game. I, I just think that they've, they've got they've got another level to go Celtic. I think, yeah, I think it's probably true of both sides of the, the old firm. And probably a big reason for that as well is that each side has really kind of had a lot of injury problems. And yeah. not even... And, Celtic have probably had it a wee bit worse than Rangers, but even still, Rangers have missed Hellander for, well, will miss them for pretty much the entire season. Ryan Jack barely played. 
Uh, they've had a few guys like Roof like dropping in and out of games due to wee niggles and stuff. And at Celtic right now, Celtic have kind of had that all season. They've not really, with the exception of Julian, obviously, who was injured coming into the campaign. I, don't, I can't really think of anybody who's been massively long term. But they miss McGregor for, like you say, he never gets injured. He actually got injured this season, but that's a bit, the only time he's got injured in the last, like, I don't know, 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and he was, Celtic fell off a cliff without him. Yeah, because I think partly it was still they were getting used to Postecoglou's style of play, but also as well, he's just so important for that team. They have none of their defensive midfielders are anywhere near as good as them. And you've also had the, the, the I've still not learned his name, the, the Greek striker. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's come in, looked, started to look a bit sharp, started to look like he could do something, and then he got injured. Uh, Forrest has missed a lot of time. Abada's missed a bit of time recently. Kyogo missed a month. Like They've had a lot of these kind of injuries that have just kind of set them back and, and really stopped them from getting a bit of continuity and understanding it in that team. And it's, I think it is certainly true for Rangers as well that that's kind of happened to them a bit this campaign, not to the extent of Celtic, but still true. And so, yeah, I think both of them could get a bit scarier after the festive period and once they get a lot of players back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The guy's name is Jackamacus, by the way, the, the Greek striker. Jackamacus. That's easy enough. Don't just think of it as an Irish name, Jack Omakis. There you go. Aye. Easy peasy. Uh, one one player that I briefly want to mention is Gary Mackay Stephen. Um, I think he was very good when he came on until he tripped over himself. Um, you knew he was going to do that, though. You knew he wasn't going to score. It's like, like I wouldn't be surprised if his subconscious tripped him up on purpose. It is, it is Gary Mackay Stephen with the big lights. It's probably one of the reasons why he didn't make it at Celtic. Is that like in that pressure? You knew it wasn't going to happen for him, and all of a sudden, air air decides to trip him up. He scored against them earlier in the season. We'll give him that. But um, I think that my... So my... I was very happy with Mackay Stephen because when he came on, he was doing what I've wanted him to do since he signed for Hearts. He was going past players. He was taking them on. Every time he got the ball, he was looking forward. He was driving forward. Also, if it wasn't for him, then that chance that, that he chipped over himself wouldn't have happened yeah. because it's him taking the initiative, skipping past uh, Montgomery, playing in Mackay really nicely and getting the ball back. Probably it was, it was Hart's best move of the match. Um, I, I, again, Barry McKay uh, sliding the ball through to him, just seeing passes that no other Hearts player would see. Again, I will reiterate, Barry McKay is, is really, really coming on to a game now. He needs a goal badly because his miss, his miss from that chance was terrible as well. You've got to at least hit the target mm-hmm. um, and he, he doesn't do that. But no, Gary McKay, Stephen, other than tripping over his tits, I thought was really a lot better when he came on uh, than, than, has, than, than he has been in, in recent uh, weeks and months. Also really, I, mean, I think this has got a bit in Mackay. I think that's maybe the problem with Mackay is that it, it's kind of the same at Rangers as well. He doesn't score a whole lot of goals. Um, when he does, he tends to be very good goals, but he's not a typical goal scorer, but he's a very creative player. And I think you're seeing that at heart. So I, I think he's got the kind of consistency that you need and that's why he's starting every, just like every single game. But someday else, out of that, absolute crew of attacking midfielders needs to come in and needs to start playing consistently if Hearts are going to get back the kind of form that they had maybe not a strong form because that's going to be a tough ask regardless of who you are but at least kind of get back to looking as as threatening as they did away for home as comfortable as they did at home and just kind of get the performances up again they're going to need somebody like Josh Ginelli or Aaron McInef or Ben Woodburn or Gary McKay Stephen or <gasps> Jamie Walker <laughs> to, <laughs> that's not going to happen uh, to to start putting in like some sort of consistency so then then it'll kind of be a fully functioning unit again because you just can't 
seems like you get one good performance in three from the guys I just mentioned there. Yeah, yeah. Do you know who I'm putting my money on? Gary McKay, Stephen. Well, you are going to lose that money. Uh, and I think it's, it shows as listen, well that listen, I think listen, Nielsen... Listen, listen, when Hearts were unbeaten at the start of the season, who was playing every week? Gary McKay, Stephen. Right, I think he's rested. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I think the reason that Nielsen didn't start Boyce was because of... He's just come back for injury. There's a lot of games coming up. The, the match against Lovison on Sunday... Is it's a, obviously a lot more winnable game than, than going to Celtic Park, so it's probably giving him a rest so he'd be fit to start that one. But it was very telling as soon as Boyce came on how much better Hearts got because somebody could hold the ball up. And it also shows you that our man Nigel is just his Hearts career, I think, is going to be coming to an end sooner rather than later. I, th- I think you're probably right. I think the reason he started Ginelli is because Ginelli made such a difference in the League Cup game uh, because he could get in behind. But all Celtic did when they saw that Ginelli was up front was step five, ten yards further back in their defence and then that was it nullified. You know, it was it was really as simple as that from Celtic. They didn't need to push the game up that high. And, and yeah, no, I, I agree. Right, let's move on to... I thought we had one game left. Shit, we've got two. Uh, right, Hibs nil, Rangers won. This one, uh, I watched, I managed to catch the first 60 minutes of this while I was waiting for the Hibs press conference to start earlier today uh, because they, for whatever reason, recently they've been notoriously late and they were again today, but... Uh, so they did give me the opportunity to watch the first first 45 minutes of this. And I think for what I've read about the game, that just then carried on for the for the rest of the match was that Hibs were quite stuffy. It didn't really allow Rangers to play through them very often. Rangers did have a couple of opportunities, but didn't take them. And the game looked like it was heading for a draw until apparently it was given to Rangers. A lot of controversy about it at the time. I've seen it. I think it's a penalty. I mean, I mean, it's a it's a it's a stone wall penalty. Ryan <laughs> Porteous kicks all two of Ryan Kent's legs, all two of them. He kicks both legs. It's, it, to be fair, he is trying to pull out. He's trying to pull his leg away, but it's too late because Kent's too quick, and he, he ends up catching him right foot first, and then follows through on his uh, his left leg as well. So it's a stone wall penalty. This is one of the most nil nil games that's ever not finished nil nil. Um, it, it really was like it was just. Hibs were stuffy. They were impressive in their stuffiness, um, but they, they didn't really create all that much. Like Martin Boyle didn't really do <clears throat> well. Obviously, the precedent was set with a hat trick at Hamden, but he, he wasn't really able to to get past. I thought Calvin Bassey played really well. He wasn't able to get past Bassey at all. Nisbet first half uh, and some of second half was really impressive in his hold up play. Actually, um, it's a, an aspect of his game that. I think goes underrated a wee bit. You know, you look at his assist for, for Boyle's second at Hamden as well is, is brilliant because he takes the ball in, turns, plays it in behind and, and he was doing that uh, through the game as well. But yeah, Hibs were, Hibs were good at stuffing Rangers out of the game and Rangers didn't really have that much of an answer. Ryan Kent was was poor again. I think he's been pretty poor for, for a couple of weeks now. Morelos um, wasn't really... Kent poor for a couple of weeks? I think he'd been poor for this season. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a few weeks then. The season's been a few. The season's been a few weeks long. Fifteen's a few. Fifteen weeks is a few weeks. Uh, not a few. Yeah, it's a few, isn't it? Um, is it? Kent, Kent was poor. Joe Aribo again looked like the one guy who could make something happen for for Rangers as he has done in recent weeks. And I think Yanis uh, Hadji. Uh, Yanis Hadji was kind of. It's a weird one with Hadji because he was being pinned back a wee bit by Josh Doig, who was getting forward well on on occasion. But um, yeah, I think both- out of all the players, uh, Ibrox 
he's maybe the one. Well, he might suit a bit more if he's playing number 10, to be honest. But then you, you probably don't want to take Aribo at that spot because Aribo's arguably been Rangers' best player so far this season. But in terms of the, the switch from the 4-3-3 to the 4-2-3-1 under Giovanni Brand Bronkers, probably doesn't suit Hadji the most. No, it doesn't, but he's he's persistent with him, which is interesting. He obviously thinks there's something there because he, he is playing him. You know, he, he played him against Livingston, played him against Hibs as well. Um, and you look at it and you're thinking, if you want out-and-out pace and attack, then you get Sakala in there in, the, in that position. But Hadji does work and he works back quite well, Yanis Hadji. Um, you know, he's he's got a decent work rate on him and he's more creative than Sakala. Sakala's kind of a... He seems to me like a bit of a punch and run uh, and, and then try and get him behind and, and either get the ball in the box or just shoot. Uh, Hadji's got, got more to his game uh, all round than, than Sakala does. So yeah, I, I think you're right that Hadji, Hadji is better as a number 10, but he's not going to shift a rebo from that position. So you, you've kind of got to work with what you've got um, at the time and, and that's that's what Van Bronckhorst is persisting with um, as things go. I think, you know, for me, the, the more pressing matter is finding someone who can come in and, and do what Ryan can um well, do better. <laughs> do better than Ryan Kent. Like Scott Wright, why not? Just find Scott Wright in there and see what he can do. But He's not had a good season either, has he? No, and it's funny as well. You look at Rangers, four points clear, and you say, who's had a great season for Rangers? And you're like, um, Aribo. Aribo. Uh, Bassey, when he's been called upon, I've been really impressed by Calvin Bassey. I think he's a cracking player. A good addition to my fantasy team is Calvin Bassey. I'm racking my brain to find another Rangers player that's excelled this season. I don't think there is. I mean, when, whenever Kemar Roof plays, he plays well because Kemar Roof is a fantastic footballer. But he's had his injury issues as well. And, and you know, Morelos is is maybe a better lone striker than Kemar Roof. I don't know. It kind of remains to be seen. But yeah, it's it's a weird one for Rangers in that they, they have forgotten, they've kind of forgotten how to lose games, um, which means that they'll just continue to to punch through and, and get victories. Um, Hibs, Hibs added a lot to the game, but it just wasn't a great game. Uh, I thought Ryan Porteous actually was was very, very good up until he wasn't, which is so often the case with Ryan Porteous. Yep. And that he shows everything that he can do and then flies into a knee-high challenge or gives away a penalty or scores an own goal or goes running out of defence like that um, fucking Lord of the Rings meme when like Frodo's running away, it's like, where are you going? There's a player literally right there who's about to score a header. What on earth are you playing at? And it's just, it's these wee things with Ryan Purchase that you would hope by now he would be able to erase out of his game, but he just hasn't yet. What did you think about Josh Campbell getting a new four-year deal? It's interesting because Josh Campbell has, has come in and quietly, effectively, but sort of, with no glitz and glamour, done a decent job as a, a sort of hard-working number 10, you know, a guy that will help with the press, who when the ball comes to him, he will keep the ball. He very, very rarely loses the ball, Josh Campbell, and I'm really impressed by that. But he doesn't really have, or well, he's not really shown any creativity as such. You know, he's not really putting through balls into De Boyle and Nisbet or, or you know, finding Chris Cadden with, with the overlap and stuff like that. It's, it's a weird one with Josh Campbell. I think he's a very talented footballer. I think his, his close control his work rate, you know, the, the way that he, he can work in the midfield has been really impressive. But, you know, he's not busting a gut to get in the bots and, and get on the end of crosses and stuff like that. It's, it's a weird one. But I think that, you know, if you see a talented player 
you do want to tie them down for for as long as you can. I don't think it's a high risk one for Hibbs giving him a. No, it won't be. There won't be a lot of wages, I would imagine. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. But again, you know, it's it's one of these things. It's Scott Allen came on against St Johnston and, and changed the game. You know, basically was was orchestrated that that victory, and that's kind of the position that you'd want Scott Allen to be playing in. But you can't trust his fitness, so it's it's interesting. It, it, it depends if you want sort of industry and hard work or you know fleet-footedness and, and creativity and, and Hibs are sort of trying to find that that middle ground just now but I, I've liked what I've seen with, with Josh Campbell but you know he's not really he's not really excelled if, if that makes it I, I think that's maybe that maybe sounds harsher than, than how I mean it um, he's just not stood out I think is the, the best way to put it Right let's go into our final game the only nil-nil so of course as is Terrace Podcast edition it goes last can't be bothered to score we can't be bothered to talk about yeah St Mirren nil, Ross County nil. Rob, yeah. you say this isn't a bad nil nil though. I don't think it was a bad. Didn't look that great for the highlights. We'd have to say. Well, it didn't. No, it, it's one of those man that it was quite. It was quite to and fro, and there was an awful lot of of shots and and reasonable enough chances. Some good football. Um, you know, both teams have good footballers as well. I think, you know, Connor Ronan and, and Jamie McGrath, I really, really like it at St Mirren. Scott Tanzer, it was good to see him uh, come back in after his injury. Uh, and then, obviously, for uh, for County, you've got Samuel up front, who who looked decent. Humble, uh, again, is a player I've been uh, impressed by. And, and Blair Spittle having a, a kind of very small renaissance, but, but not not massive. Um, but no, I, I, I thought it was a it was an interesting sort of tactical game. Um, this one, obviously, two very different systems coming up against each other, um, and obviously the, the four at the back for um, Ross County started the game uh, very well, and, and as the game went on, they were called upon more and more. Um, County started the game really, really strongly, and again, it was sort of down to it was down to Samuel um, with with Humble and Spittle kind of playing off him. Ross Callahan uh, playing some some decent passes in behind. Jack Anik had to make a couple of smart stops um, from Samuel. There was, there was one one occasion. I mean, that was awful, awful defending from Shocknessy who fired it about fifty yards into the air. One of those that in, in the uh, in the highlights, the camera didn't even bother to follow the ball. <laughs> it, just, it just waited. It just waited for it to come back down. But uh, Samuel takes two really nice touches, turns him inside out, pulls a good save out of Anik, and then the second half was way more about Saint Mirren. Uh, Connor Ronan getting his foot on the ball a lot more often uh, Jamie McGrath as well and you know one thing I would say is that to a lesser extent than usual you know Eamon Grothy's shoot on sight um, sort of tactic has is, is calmed down a little bit and, and you know Christian Dennis had a, a couple of strikes on goal because of that because Grothy was, was able to hold the ball up and yeah it was. I think it was an interesting game that had a lot of attacking intent within it um, but neither team was, was neither team was able to to really create a guilt-edged chance, one that you'd say you have to be scoring that within the game. But I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of interest in attack and play for, for both teams. So you mentioned two guys already. So and I pretty much could have guaranteed this was going to be a nil-nil when I saw that Christian Dennis and Dominic Samuel were both starting because I have them both in my fantasy team. They were both a, a draft. Well, did I draft them both? No, I think I just added Samuel at one point because nobody wanted him. Because why would you? Um, but I, I'm sure I drafted Dennis towards the end and thinking, oh, he looked all right at points last season. He'll get a few starts. Both of them have barely started the game. So they both started this one. So I was quite excited, but then obviously should have known that it was going to finish nil-nil. 
But who should I be more excited about? Who, if I have to release one of them tomorrow, who am I releasing? Uh, Christian Dennis. Next. Right. <laughs> Christian, De- Christian Dennis, man, it's... It's so weird because I, I mean I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pull his uh, pull his stats up in front of me here, but he was one that you're kind of looking at, and he has got a phenomenal goal scoring record, like throughout his career in the lower leagues of England, he has got a like a genuinely you know very 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 impressive goal scoring record, and he's come up here and done absolutely hee haw, like nothing. He's he scored three goals three goals total for St. Mirren. Um and it just hasn't clicked for him at all. I don't know if it's it's to do with the system that's in play, not suiting him. If he's maybe a striker that that very much has teams built around him uh, previously in, in the lower leagues because he's kind of a, a specialist goal scorer, but he's just not really offered anything for St. Mirren. He doesn't really he doesn't have too much to his game other than scoring goals. He's not scoring goals. So yeah, I, I would if I was you, I would take Dennis out of the team because Samuel Although uh, County came more under the caution the second half, when when he was getting the opportunity to to get in front of goal, he was you know he was getting decent shots in and getting them on target. So I would I would say that for for Dominic Samuel. There we go. You've uh, settled our dressing room politics there. I, I can't wait for Christian Dennis to score a hat trick next week for for my team uh, up up my Nangelis bit. Very good, very good. <laughs> Happy yeah. with that. Milan last year was terrible. Jermaine Tilton, that's, that's shite. That's awful. Oh, no, that's bad. I'm just lazy. <laughs> uh, right, but I think that'll do us. <laughs> Quite a lot of puns have been recited in this game. Eh? Yeah, this yeah. podcast and, and this this game we call life. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's finish it up. Thank you to everybody for listening. My Rob and myself are now going to record a Patreon, which is obviously subscription-based. You have to pay £2 or £5 to get on all the content. And if you want a decent fan to the end of the season, it's £7 a month tier. So all of them, bargain. Like, look at all the other things you have to pay for and how much expensive they are. This this, this is value for money, especially with the hours. Because, I mean, we've been doing this since, God, what, we've been doing this four years now or so, four or so years of Patreon. So there's... There'll be, there'll be years, years worth of content to unlock there. So that's patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, the best way is probably Twitter, just at Terrace Podcast. And I think that's all, all it. I'm, all, all I'm going to say is just cancel that OnlyFans subscription, you dirty dog, and get some Scottish football action instead. There you go. <laughs> exactly. There's lots of free stuff to wank about. Why would you want to pay for that anyway? Exactly. It makes no sense to me, Fowler. Anyway, bye. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.